Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Well, hello there, and uh, welcome to today's program. I'm um, sad to report that uh, today is our last program until September. We take June, July, and August off. And, um, well, by golly, hard to believe we've made it to another nine months of um, parenting your challenging child. Um, I hope that you have found the uh, programs this year to be informative and helpful. Um, I've had fun. And, uh, of course, I'm hoping that people who call in and who get their questions answered uh, live on the air are um, being helped. That's, of course, the main goal. Um Let's see here. Uh, No callers yet today, but why don't I give you that uh, phone number? 347-994-2981. But I got a bunch of email that I want to answer before September, that's for sure. And so um, maybe we'll start with that today. Of course, I know. Just because we take the summer off from this program doesn't mean parents get the summer off from parenting their behaviorally challenging child. I know. Um, Hopefully, uh, the archives of the program and um, that vast listening library that uh, is available to you on the Lives in the Balance website, hopefully that'll see you through. Um, and of course if you do have a question over the summer email it and uh, we'll pick it up in the fall right where we left off so shall we start with some email I think we will I like uh, this first one very much I like them all but this is an interesting one Uh, Hold on, let me pull it up here. Uh, Hi, Dr. Green. I introduced the idea of collaborative problem solving to our daughter's therapist. She was critical of the idea because it puts kids at the same level as parents. In her opinion, the technique is counterproductive in the long run because it subverts the true vertical role of the relationship between parents above and children below. Children need to feel secure, and she 
feels they have a sense of relief when parents decide things. Placing the decision on children she feels is too stressful for them. Have you thought about this criticism? I have. I hear it sometimes. Um, wow. But I, I don't... Uh, no, I don't... Uh, I, I don't uh, think that way at all, um, as you'd probably imagine. Um, the, the question is often asked in the form of, does collaborative problem-solving make kids and adults equals? And the answer is it makes their concerns of exactly equal legitimacy. There's no trumping in collaborative problem-solving. There's no dismissing in collaborative problem-solving. I actually think that uh, feeling like your concerns are being trumped or dismissed is extremely stressful. I don't think that makes people feel secure at all, children or children once they're grown up. There's no security in having your concerns blown off the table. There's no security or comfort in feeling like you're not going to be heard and that solutions are going to be imposed upon you. That's just a very, very different way of thinking about things. So I actually think that collaborative problem-solving is productive in the long run. Now, I didn't say that kids and adults are equals. I said that their concerns are of exactly equal legitimacy. We are still relying on adults to teach kids how to solve problems with another person. That's going to be a very crucial skill, not only in childhood, but in adulthood. We're going to teach kids how to think about what their concerns are, articulate them in a way that uh, other people can hear. That's going to be a very critical life skill, not only in childhood, but in adulthood, to, to appreciate that one has legitimate concerns. My goodness. Think about all the adults out there who are insecure about whether their concerns are legitimate or not. And they deal with that in any variety of different ways they may be passive and subvert their concerns. Well, there's a word from the from the email. They may have learned so well in childhood that their concerns are subverted to the concerns of the adult that they never learn that they have legitimate concerns. They never they stop thinking about their concerns. They never learn how to put them on the table and feel secure in doing so, secure that their concern is legitimate, secure in their ability to take another person's concerns into account, and secure in their ability to work together with people to come up with mutually satisfactory solutions. I mean, after all, the kid's going to have co-workers someday, right? kid's going to have a significant other someday, Right? I fail to see how subverting early is productive later. And of course, I work with the kids, the extremely challenging ones, who it's crystal clear are not feeling any sense of relief when parents decide things. That's plan A. That's what causes them to get the most upset. By the way, there's another potential pattern 
of someone whose concerns were subverted in childhood. Not only might they go passive on us, that's one direction, they might go overboard on us in making sure that their concerns trump someone else's. Trumping begets trumping. Subverting begets subverting. And the idea that engaging kids in the process of solving problems collaboratively is too stressful for them? Well, that's a theory. Um, Collaborative problem solving doesn't put kids at the same level as parents, but collaborative problem solving does treat the concerns of both parties as equally legitimate. The adults are still on the hook for guiding the process, overseeing the process, making sure that the solution that's agreed upon is realistic, is mutually satisfactory, so the kids learn how. How do the kids learn how? If we're busy subverting them in childhood. There's um, there's my answer to that one. Shall we move on to another one? Um, there's another good one. First, let me check, see if anybody's called in yet. No callers yet. Could be a caller-free day. Our callers usually call at the beginning of the program, not in the middle. So this could be an email day. That's That's fine, too. Here's another. Uh, Dr. Green, I have a five-year-old boy who's been diagnosed with sensory integration disorder. He does well at school but has issues at home, very similar to what you describe in your book, The Explosive Child. Tantrums, hitting, destroying objects, doors, hitting her siblings are very frequent. I know there are many unsolved problems. Still, there are emergency situations that I don't know how to handle. She gets out of control very violently for very silly, that's in quotes, reasons or situations, and it's difficult to stop without restraining him. Actually, now I can't tell if the child we're talking about is a... Here is she. Looks like it's a he. Well, it does say I have a five-year-old boy. Why did I think this was a she? I have no idea. It's a he. doesn't really matter. I don't find that these things break along gender lines. Just kind of curious about why I'm sitting here thinking that the child we're talking about here is a she. I don't see plan B working in those situations. What would be an emergency plan B? Thanks for your help. Um, uh, Let's see. I don't know if sensory integration disorder, which I think is legitimate, is legitimate, is going to give us the... Well, I know it's not. Uh, In most instances, I'm not thinking it's going to give us the information we need about the unsolved problems that are setting in motion the tantrums, hitting, destroying objects, doors, and hitting of... Well, that's why I thought it was a her. It says hitting her siblings are very frequent. There you go. I'm not losing it. Well, I actually probably am losing it, but at least now we know why I was confused about him or her. 
I think we need a list of unsolved problems, and I've got just the instrument to help you create that list. It's called the Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems. If you haven't found it yet, you can find that on the Lives in the Balance website in the paperwork section. What you'll find is a list of lagging skills, and then you'll see that what you want to do is write in the unsolved problems that are associated with each of those lagging skills. And that's not the only way you could come up with a list of unsolved problems. You could just come up with a list of unsolved problems. Keep a log of all of the, over the course of a week, of all of the things that your child became agitated about, that you disagreed about, that your child balked at doing. As I always say, if your child's balking at doing something, then that something must be an unsolved problem. Otherwise, he wouldn't be balking at doing it. If your child is tantruming, hitting, destroying objects, doors, and hitting his siblings, there must be an unsolved problem setting those things in motion. Otherwise, he wouldn't be tantruming, hitting, destroying objects, doors, and hitting siblings. The goal here is to make those seemingly unpredictable unsolved problems that you are presently dealing with emergently into predictable unsolved problems so that you can decide which ones you're working on right now, that's plan B, and which ones you're not going to be working on right now, that's plan C. In other words, you don't want to rely on emergency plan B. I know exactly where you're coming from on it. At the moment, it feels like these things are just popping up, but they are not just popping up. They are predictable. You you may not even believe that yet. But I get the feeling, I could be wrong because you didn't mention it in your email, but I get the feeling we need us a list of unsolved problems. So long as we don't have that list of unsolved problems, we won't know what our priorities are, we won't know what we're working on proactively, and we won't know what we are dropping, at least temporarily, proactively. We want to be doing proactive plan B, proactive plan C. Can you do emergency plan B in the heat of the moment? Yes, it's an option. You could also do emergency plan C in the heat of the moment and just drop it. You could also do emergency plan A in the heat of the moment and decide what needs to happen next, but that's not going to keep you from being in the heat of the moment again the next time. The most important part of keeping you from being in the heat of the moment the next time is to figure out what unsolved problem got you stuck in the heat of the moment this time so you can deal with it proactively the next time. By the way, an email from one of our listeners uh, related, I think, to the prior email. Our therapist thought that we did our 17-year-old daughter a huge disservice because she had not had adult-imposed consequences in her life. I disagree. She sees us as a helping, trustworthy person who she can turn to when there is an unsolved problem and she is lacking the skills to solve it. Yeah. I agree. Thank you. 
to our listener. So I hope uh, I've answered the question about emergency plan B. It's there if you need it. You don't want to need it. I understand that sometimes you do need it, but you really want to work as hard as you can so you don't need it. Shall we move on to another email question? Let's. Uh, hold on here. Uh, Dr. Green, uh, I don't want to read the whole thing here. I have previously talked with you about my seven-year-old son when the talking seems to be the unsolved problem. I would say I've been attempting Plan B for about four months now. Some days are better than others to try to have a collaborative conversation with him. As soon as we sit down to talk, he starts to get frustrated with me and says that I am wasting his playtime. Okay, there's a red flag. That was me talking, not the email. I have started to listen to your recorded radio programs, good, and have read through some of the letters from other parents on the website to gain more insight into Plan B. I've heard you mention that the one that one thing that makes initiating a Plan B hard at first is that the child might think you are starting a Plan A conversation. That might actually not be the issue, but I'll keep reading. I'm trying my best to relay to my son that I want to work with him on some problems and he is not in trouble with me and that I want to make things better in a way in which he is happy too. Great. He tells me that nothing is wrong and just has to leave the room to get back to whatever he was doing before the conversation began. Now that, once again, there's our red flag. There's, there's the information. That I think that's information right there. We have been talking less than 10 minutes a night, as that is just about all he can take. I'd like to hear more about that. Uh, the unsolved problem I'm working with him on now is difficulty managing his emotional response to frustration so as to think rationally. No, that's not an unsolved problem. This is me talking here. That's a lagging skill. Now I'll keep reading. The unsolved problem is getting dressed in the morning. He will often sit in the bathroom and take 30 minutes to get dressed. When I start giving him gentle reminders, concerned that he will not be able to have enough time to eat breakfast and be on the bus 30 minutes later, he starts to react very strongly and often starts to raise his voice and become angry and frustrated. There are other skills as well that I believe he is lacking, including difficulty doing things in a logical sequence, poor sense of time, and difficulty maintaining focus. And here's the interesting part. That's why you're not working on those specific lagging skills. They're too big. But all of them may be contributing to the fact that he's having trouble getting dressed in a timely manner in the morning. That's the unsolved problem. I'll keep going with the email. There are other unsolved problems relating to his managing emotional response to frustration that I've narrowed down as well, including when I try to affirm him in a positive way toward something that he would consider, I don't understand that part of the sentence, anytime he feels that I am lecturing him, he usually doesn't have any problem with expressing his concerns and has never seemed to have a language problem. He was, however, diagnosed at age three with a very mild form of apraxia. This mainly affected his articulation, but the use of words has never seemed to be an issue. While trying to solve the problem of getting dressed in the morning, 
today, he started to get frustrated with the conversation after one to two minutes into the talk. I tried to use open-ended questions to his refusals, such as, what is it about the conversations that bother you? What are you thinking when you're in the bathroom when I tell you it's time to eat breakfast? I tried to uh, assure him with the statement, I'm only trying to get more information so I can understand what's bothering you. Those all sound very good. He complains that this way of solving problems is hard for him. I've not been able to get out of him what it is about the conversations that he finds hard. Even trying to talk about when and how long we should talk is a battle. He will open up to me about other things, and we have a close relationship, but it does not like to problem-solve with me. He enjoys any unstructured time he can get and enjoys playing with his Legos, writing comic books and stories and reading. His skill at managing emotional response to frustration so as to think rationally has improved greatly over the last three months. Good. But it is the talking to him collaborative approach plan B and having conversations about problems that always brings forth the deficit in this skill. Any ideas to help ease him into plan B discussions? Well, let's see. Um... The part of the email that I'm mostly glomming on to is um, that we're trying to talk with him when he's in the middle of playtime. Um, and I'm trying to find the rest of the email. Um, I can't find it in the rest of the email, but the, the first thing I would probably be working on here is timing. And I know that you said in your message that even talking with him about timing is hard. I think we need to reassure him that we're not going to talk to him during playtime. And to perhaps do plan B on when would be a better time to talk and even to do plan B on whether he'd like some advance notice on what it is that you're going to be talking about and whether this one, getting ready for school on a timely manner in the morning, uh, maybe there's something about that one that he's having trouble with. Maybe he doesn't know. Maybe it's too big. But something about that unsolved problem is hard for him to talk about right now. I wonder, because you're saying you have a good relationship with him and you do talk about other things. Um, he'll open up other th about other things, but he doesn't like to problem solve with you. It feels to me like problem solving has somehow come to have a negative connotation for him. Maybe, I could be wrong, because the one we've been trying so hard to solve is really hard for him. But he does open up to you about other things. And to tell you the truth, that's really all you're looking for him to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take open up to you about other things as a sign that he does provide you with information about those other things. That's all really you're looking for in the empathy step. You're looking for... Information. 
So if he'll open up to you on other things, I don't know why he's not opening up to you on this one. But I would start with trying to find a time to talk that isn't interrupting his playtime, because that is going to be bad timing, even if it is proactive. I, I, you, you've clearly gotten a lot out of the website, and that's extremely gratifying, and you're clearly trying very hard. I just think that's where I'd start. When could we talk be, that wouldn't be interrupting his playtime? And let's make the unsolved problem we're going to be talking with him about more predictable. And early on here, as you're trying to get Plan B going, let's see if there's one that's going to be easier for him to talk about. And let's get our list of unsolved problems. Let's decide what our top priorities are. Let's let him pick the unsolved problem that he thinks he'd have an easier time talking about. Let's get it going well. After all, he is opening up to you about other things. Then, let's see how it's going. You know, this is the interesting thing. When I hear of Plan B not going as well as people might like, um... I feel like an emergency room doctor doing triage. The patient has shown up with certain symptoms. Now i got to figure out what's wrong and what we're going to work on first. I don't know if what we're going to work on first is going to fix everything, but i got to start somewhere. Let's start with trying to find a time that isn't playtime, and let's start with letting your son choose from among the high-priority unsolved problems that you'd like to talk with him about. Let's see how it goes. Email back if it doesn't go as well as we might have hoped. But that's really the thing about Plan B. Um, I was on the phone with some folks this morning who actually were drilling for information very well in the empathy step of Plan B, but had started with an unsolved problem that was a behavior, not listening, and the child wasn't listening about a whole variety of different things. He wasn't listening about not kicking his ball in the house. He wasn't listening about not going in his sister's room. He wasn't listening about not kicking the ball into the street. Not listening is not an unsolved problem. It's, number one, it's a behavior. And even if it was an unsolved problem, it's a clumped unsolved problem. But if we were to split it, then we wouldn't be talking with the child about not listening. We'd be talking with the child about how difficult for it is it is for him not to kick the ball in the house. 
that's a specific unsolved problem. How difficult it is for him not to go into his sister's bedroom. How difficult it is for him not to kick the ball into the road. So there was excellent drilling going on, but the drilling was over a behavior, and therefore Plan B didn't really go anywhere. Now, difficulty getting ready for school in the morning on a timely basis actually is a very specific unsolved problem, so that's not the problem there. It's just that, well, that's the whole thing about uh, triaging why Plan B isn't going as well as we might have hoped. There's sort of a finite list of things that could be going wrong. Um, we might have started with an unsolved problem that, while it was an unsolved problem, it wasn't specific enough. It was clumped, not split. I've noticed that you're having trouble listening. Is a behavior. Not only is it clumped, it's a behavior. Unsolved problems aren't behaviors. Unsolved problems are the conditions in which the behaviors are occurring. So hitting is not an unsolved problem. Hitting when we're asking the child to clean his room. Ah, difficulty cleaning the room. That's an unsolved problem. Kicking is not an unsolved problem. The conditions in which the child is kicking, those are the unsolved problems. What else could go wrong in plan B? Well, you could be doing it emergently, not proactively. That's not the issue with our emailer. She's doing it proactively. We could be doing it proactively, but it's still not a great time for the kid. There's still something about the timing that is not working here. Ah, that could be it. I'm triaging. could be that we've started with an unsolved problem that is hard for the child to talk about. Maybe there's an unsolved problem that wouldn't be so hard to talk with him about, and maybe we could talk with him about that, and he could let us know what might be an easier place to start. Once again, I'm encouraged there by the fact that we're being told that he will share information about other things. Perfect. Drilling is a very hard part of doing Plan B. Things can go awry there, either because we didn't drill far enough and we left the empathy step and moved on to the define the problem step too quickly. Define the problem step can be hard because adults frequently aren't exactly clear what their concerns are. Some adults skip it completely. Need to define the problem step in there. The invitation can be very hard. Among the reasons the invitation can be hard is that we have a tendency to agree to solutions that are not realistic and that don't address the concerns of both parties. This is just triaging the different things that can go wrong. Luckily, we can figure it out. I've been much more explicit over the years about the exact things that can go wrong, and our emailer has actually read about some of those things. Now we're talking about some of the other things. 
one of our listeners is providing some sage guidance here as well by email. Uh, he or she is saying sometimes it takes a very long time to get the Plan B ball rolling. Hang in there. Sounds as if you're making progress, though it's baby steps. Even a few steps back and one step forward, it's a process. Also, we had a similar getting dressed problem. After a very long time of trying to work it out, my son picked out the outfit the night before. He dressed in comfortable clothes, which he slept in, and off he went to school in the morning. By the way, coming by the fall, a new feature on the Lives in a Balance website where we're going to be asking people to submit what their solutions were to specific unsolved problems, just like difficulty getting dressed in the morning on a timely basis. So part of this goes against my grain because just because a solution worked in one family doesn't mean it will work in another, and we don't want to have preordained solutions. But with that caveat put aside, uh, people have suggested to me that it might be a very good idea to have a clearinghouse of sorts of solutions. And by golly, if we need a clearinghouse of solutions, we're going to have a clearinghouse of solutions. Just don't let that clearinghouse of solutions cause you to become unilateral or know where the ship is docking before you leave port. Just going to be a place for people to submit ideas about how they solved certain problems collaboratively. Coming soon on the Lives in a Balance website. Well, you know what? We have exhausted the emails for today. There are none left. And because we have no callers, I think we are going to end this last program of this year's, or at least the 2011-2012 Parenting Your Challenging Child. Um, We're going to cut this program short a little bit. I hope you have a fantastic summer. Um, I once again hope that a lot of the uh, archived programming in the Listening Library on the Lies in the Balance website helps you make it through the summer. And I very much look forward to being back with you again from the new Lives in the Balance offices in Portland, Maine, come September. Have a great summer. Talk to you then.